0: Uh, Our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and brought sin into the world. And as part of our inheritance from them, uh, we have all been born sinners. It's our nature. Uh, we, We sin because we're sinners. But God commended this love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you that much that that He took your place. He took my place there on the cross and paid the the penalty that we deserved so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could have a relationship with with God, with a holy and righteous God. And, And in believing in Him, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that He takes away our sinfulness and He puts on us as the Bible likens it to robes and robes of righteousness he gives us the righteousness of Christ oh what a what a, a blessed thought that is amen and not, and not only that Jesus didn't just come to save us but as I said he wants fellowship with us uh, but he did even more than that he has planned a perfect uh, uh, he has p- uh, planned a a perfect life for you, and when I say a perfect life, I don't mean that a life that is that is full of luxury and pleasure necessarily. Now, there there are pleasures. The Bible says, "In His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore." You'll find no greater pleasure than being in the center of God's will. But what I mean when I say that God has planned a perfect life for you is it is the it is the perfect life for you. See, God has a plan for you. He knows that each of us are, are, uh, we are individual, we are very different, although we have many things that are the same, there are many differences in us, and God's desire is to take us where we are and to change us more and more gradually uh, to, to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. The longer we're saved, the longer we enjoy the relationship with God, the more like Jesus Christ we should become. Uh, The more we should be uh, loving, the more merciful, the more gracious we should be. The more bold we should be about truth. The firmer our stand should be about righteousness. But we should be gracious in that stand. Uh, The Bible tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. These are not contrary one to the other. They they work perfectly together to help us to reflect Jesus Christ to the world around us. And as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He does His work in us. And as we yield to Him, He He fulfills His plan. The Bible tells us that God has a plan. And it is is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. And it will be brought to completion. It is the will of God. But God doesn't force his plan on any of us. Just because God has a plan for me and you doesn't mean that God is going to say, all right, whether you like it or not, this is what you're doing. See, God has given us a choice. Just as in salvation, God gave us a choice. God gives us a choice of whether to live for him or not. Now, there is blessing and there there are pleasures in in living for God. And there's uh, heartache and turmoil and, and trouble that comes from from living outside of the will of God. And we want to talk about that today. We want to talk about choosing the will of God because God has a plan. The the Bible tells us in in the Old Testament that as God was bringing the children of Israel into the promised land, into the land of Canaan where he had promised to give them, uh, he he had some of the the people to stand on one side and, and some on the other, and those on one side were to shout, Blessings! blessings blessings and those on the other side were to shout cursing cursing and the and it seems silly but what God wanted to remind them is look you you have the choice to choose blessings or to choose cursing and God said to them that day I set before you life and death blessing and cursing choose life and the way to choose life and to choose blessing is to choose, to trust Jesus as your Savior, to choose to obey God in your life, and by choosing Him, you'll find that He's given you life, and more than just life, but it's life more abundantly. But it's something we must choose. Sadly, too often we choose lesser things. We decide to accept less than God's best because we don't understand God's best, and we lean to our own understanding the Bible tells us, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. It says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. See, we we need to we need to remember that we're flesh, we're we're uh, we're fallible, we're prone to, to make mistakes. But God is not. God is perfect. His way is right. He is always right, and everything He does is good. And whether we understand it or not, what we need to do is just choose Him. Years ago, there was a, a documentary of, uh, that was that was uh, put together and, and shown in in theaters across America, where uh, where. The director uh, Morgan Spurlock uh, attempted to show the results of eating of eating fast food for every meal for an entire month, from February 1st to March 2nd of 2003. Spurlock only ate food that he ordered from a uh, from the menu of a particular fast food restaurant chain. The ground rules of, of his experiment included that within the month's time he had to at least one time order every item on the menu. And every time they offered to supersize it, he had to agree. Now, that... I I don't know about you, but that does not seem like an appealing experiment to me. I, I I get stomach aches just thinking about that. But he He decided to do this. So nine times throughout his experiment, throughout that month, he supersized his meal and he ate food from this menu every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. every day. He would go into his doctor for regular checkups throughout the month and and uh, he learned the effects that the diet was having on his body, including depression, which in his in this in his depression, he was convinced that going and eating more of that food, it would help him get out of that funk. He experienced mood swings and fat accumulation in and around his liver. Over the course of the month, his, he gained two, uh, 24 and a half pounds. His body mass increased 13 percent, and his, his cholesterol skyrocketed. Now, many people who oppose fast food applauded his self-sacrifice in order to uh, make a statement and expose the unhealthy side of uh, the fast food industry now critics brushed him off with statements like well everybody knows fast food's not good for you and he chose to eat it and things like that. Uh, it, it took him it took him several months it took, uh, now he gained 24 and a half pounds in one month. It took him like over a year like 14 months or so to lose all of that and lots of other other issues that came along. In recent years, many fast food restaurants have made adjustments to their marketing and menus in an effort to at least appear to be more healthy. So why, why are we talking about fast food? I thought we were talking about the will of God. Uh, are we saying it's not the will of God that we eat fast food? Well, you've got to determine that for yourself. I'm glad that God gives us that liberty because every once in a while, even I enjoy a Big Mac, right? And uh, and I enjoy going to I enjoy going to these restaurants and getting the french fries and one of my favorite things is getting waffle fries from chick-fil-a extra well done that'll change your life all right now i'm sorry you can't go and try that today right closed on sunday all right uh now as you'll remember we've been talking about uh how we're not just physical beings but we're spiritual and just as our physical body takes in food that we eat and is affected by it in areas of health and weight, and and, and it also affects us mentally and emotionally in other ways, our spirit consumes whatever we take in, whatever we decide to receive. Now, the hours that we spend consuming content of all kinds, shapes and molds, it influences us and has its effect on us. Compare the time that you spend reading your Bible and any other type of spiritual intake in a week's time. To how much time you scroll social media, or you watch television, or movies, or or uh, YouTube videos, or or anything like that—anything that's not edifying spiritually—you might say, "Well, this these things don't seem to be right or wrong," and there and, and there are some things that you could perhaps try to figure out some spot in between, but but are we trying to figure out how mediocre we can be in our Christian lives? Are we wanting to be as strong of, of Christians as we can be? Now, it's not, it's not necessarily wrong to enjoy something that is not particularly sinful. And we can engage in things that are fun. You know, theres I, I enjoy Disneyland. There's nothing wrong with going to Disneyland unless you're shirking responsibility and going to Disneyland, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with uh, there's nothing wrong with having some fun. Uh, there's nothing wrong with riding a ride and getting that through. I, I love that. I love that incredicoaster. You know, that's just so much fun. And, uh, and every time that's about to go into that loop, and, and uh, you know, the mom will say, Oh, Jack, Jack. I just, uh, anyway, I just laugh. Anyway, but uh, it's a lot of fun enjoying those kind of things. It's not, and there's nothing sinful about that. But there are things that are sinful. We need to stay away from those things. And, and I, I want to encourage you to grow in discernment. It's not my plan today to make a list of all the sinful things that we should avoid. My, my goal is for, is for us to draw close to God and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so He is the one telling us the things to avoid. Because I could give you a list And make your life absolutely miserable. And you'd get mad at me. Because I've made your life miserable with my list. So I don't want to do that. I want to encourage you to do what is even better. And that is draw close to God. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And let Him guide you into all truth. If the Bible says it's right, it's right. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And that's that. Amen? Amen? And we need to live our lives according to what the Bible teaches us. Now, uh, what what I'd like to do today is encourage you to examine your life. I'd like to I'd like to encourage you to take a look at, at who you allow to influence you, or what you allow to influence you, and to and to look, take a, a look at your choices that you make to determine where you are on your journey with Jesus and see where you need to change in order to more effectively see His will accomplished in your life. See, our, our theme this year of NLA as in heaven, it's not just a, a, a catchy little phrase that we're wanting to say. We want it to be reality. We want the will of God to be accomplished in LA as it is in heaven. We want to do our part as, as a cross point uh, to see God's will accomplished. That means we want to do our part to see the gospel go out. We want to do our part to see our lives changed by the word of God. We want to do our part to see our lives strengthened by the word of God. And as we, as our lives are strengthened and changed, and as we go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to see people reached with the gospel. We want to see lost people saved come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want to see their lives transformed that not not so that people all around will say woo pa- uh, uh, Pasadena has a has a, an awesome church and its crosspoint it's not about crosspoint it's all about Jesus Christ they could uh, if if people if people all around us know our names and they know about crosspoint but they go through their life and do not know Jesus they've missed everything Our desire is to to introduce them to the one who will transform their lives, give them true peace, true joy, and help them to experience what true love is all about. Now, we all make choices for how we live our lives. Those choices are shaped by what we choose to believe and whom we allow to influence us. Many times our choices are determined by how submitted we are or how rebellious we are toward the Lord or any other authority for that matter. And the reality is that you and I will not truly be at peace, will not truly experience joy unless we're surrendered and obedient to the will of Jesus Christ. Now it's not that he eventually makes our way difficult when we don't uh, obey him, but rather he knows that outside of his will, uh, there are spiritual and often physical dangers that, uh, that will harm us and, and trap us uh, in in sins in our life that will just bring uh, damage to us and to others. But because we, uh, we don't know what's out there, we often push against those boundaries that He has lovingly set in place. Many times we get outside His will and try to do things our own way. This being done, we're often like a young calf who has escaped the fenced in pasture, and and we trot around enjoying our newfound freedom. And, whoa, we have a wonderful time, or at least we try hard to convince ourselves that we are. But the Bible is clear that there's pleasure in sin for a season. And when that season is up, there are repercussions. We're going to reap what we sow. Sometimes it, it's a little while later, sometimes those consequences come fairly quickly. But once those wild oats are grown and we begin to weep, uh, to reap what we've sown, uh, we, we often have the, have the tendency to want to blame God and, and say that God is being mean to us because of those consequences that we, in essence, chose for ourselves. It's like, the, it's like the, the young man who, who breaks into a, a house and, and robs the house, and, and as he's fleeing, the police officer overtakes him and arrests him, and the young man wants to get mad at the police officer for arresting him. The police officer is doing his job. The young man is the one that did wrong, and he's facing those consequences. this mentality shows that we do not understand the true nature of God's love and grace. We read in the Old Testament about the, the man uh, who, was, who was a prophet. His name was Jonah. And Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh and preach, warning the people of the destruction that was to come. But Jonah was not right with God in his heart, and it was evident because he, he was very prejudiced against the people of Nineveh. He knew how how cruel they were, and he hated them for it, and he did not want God to spare them. He wanted the judgment of God to come. But he knew that if he went and preached that judgment was coming, that chances are they might repent. And if they repented, he knew that God would have mercy. And so instead of obeying God and going to Nineveh to preach, Jonah decided to run and go the other way. And the Bible tells us he got on board a ship headed in the opposite direction, but God knew where he was. Even though Jonah went down into the into the bottom, into the belly of the ship, God knew where he was. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't able to to hide from God. God said, Jonah, I'm going to get your attention one way or another. And God sent a storm. A storm that was so great that the, that the, the men uh, that, were, uh, that were working that ship, they knew that there, there was something different about this ship. And not being, not being uh, believers in God himself, but being, uh, but being polytheistic, believing in many gods, they, they began to look around and say, who has made the gods angry? And they called everybody together, and, they, and through a method they called casting lots. It's kind of like drawing straws. It was determined that Jonah was the one who had, in their words, made the gods angry. And they asked him, Jonah, what have you done? And he said, I'm a servant of the Most High God. And he told them that God had told him to go to Nineveh, but in his rebellion he had gone the other way. And, and, they, and he said, the only thing that's going to cause this storm to stop, the only way that your lives are going to be spared is for you to throw me into the sea. And they didn't want to do that, so they tried throwing other things out and tried rolling harder to get to the storm, and nothing was, nothing was working. And so finally, at their, the last resort, they took Jonah, and they threw him out into the storm, out into the water. And the Bible tells us that when Jonah was thrown out into the water, the water, the storm ceased and it became calm. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was those men on the ship, I would not be inclined to say, hey, the storm stopped. Hey, Jonah, you want to get back in? No, and it doesn't seem that they were inclined to do so either. So Jonah was out there in the, in the water floating around and and he could, God could have let him float out there on the water God could have let him drown God could have let him uh, bake in the sun but the Bible tells us that the Lord had prepared a great fish I love that, it says the Lord had prepared, already he already had it ready because he knew what Jonah was going to do and the Bible says that, that the great fish this this whale swallowed Jonah alive now sometimes people people have have said you know this is this is uh this this can't be true a whale swallowing a man and him being in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights that that just is not that's just not not true and they'd have and uh, the question was asked one time of a, of a preacher uh, by a skeptic. The, the skeptic said, do you really believe that, that a whale swallowed Jonah? And Jonah was in the belly of that whale for three days and three nights. And the preacher said, you know what? I've come to believe the word of God, that if the word of God said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, because God's word is true. Yeah. And we see, we see that God had prepared this fish. Now, some have have presented it like that this this whale was the punishment of God on Jonah's life. But I believe if you'll look a little closer, you'll see that it's not punishment, but it's grace. Mm. It's God giving Jonah grace. God sparing Jonah's life and giving him an opportunity to repent. Oh, he had confessed what he did, or he had admitted what he did. When he told the men in the ship that he had rebelled against God, he had admitted it. But admitting is different than confessing. Because confession is agreeing with God. He said what he did, and often we're like that, yeah, that's what I did. I rebelled against God, but in our hearts we're not ready to repent. And it really seems that that's where Jonah was as well. Because uh, he, he, he told God sorry. And God gave him an opportunity. God knew his heart. God knew what was going on. But God gave him an opportunity to come clean and get totally right with him. And after three days and three nights in the the whale's belly, the Bible tells us that, that that fish came and spit Jonah up on dry land. And Jonah ran to Nineveh. And he entered into the city and began to preach that God was going to send judgment. And just as Jonah had thought would happen... When he began to preach that God is sending judgment, the people of Nineveh began to repent. The Bible says in sackcloth and ashes. They put ashes on their head and wore ragged clothes. And, and, and some might even torn their clothes to show uh, as a sign of repentance. And the king there in Nineveh, he said, he said, oh, who can tell if God will turn away his wrath from us? And he called for a time of fasting and prayer. He called for a time of repentance in the land. And, and the people followed his, followed his command, followed his lead. And, and God had mercy on them. And Jonah got mad at God. And began to sulk. And was angry with God over his mercy that he showed on the people. You know... Jonah Jonah had every opportunity to get right. And Jonah, if you, if you look at what God told him to do, we can see that Jonah actually did what God said to do. But even though he did exactly what God told him to do, the reality is Jonah was still not obedient. Because his heart wasn't right his heart wasn't submissive. In his heart, he was still holding on to his hatred. In his heart, he was still holding on to his way. And it was as if he went into into Nineveh with the idea, you know, God, I'm grateful that you didn't let me drown. I'm grateful that you didn't let me bake out there on the water. I'm grateful that even though the fish, you got fish to swallow me, you know, now I stink. I'm grateful that you spared my life But I'm going to show you that what I said is true. And after after God spared Nineveh, Jonah said, isn't this what I said? I said that you were going to spare them. You can tell his heart wasn't right with God. So often we... We go and do what God says for us to do, but our heart is not submissive. Our heart isn't totally right with God. And in the end, rather than being joyful over what God has done, rather than rejoicing over the thousands of people that that God has affected through our obedience, we want to get angry with God because things didn't go my way. humble ourselves before God and let him have his way. Not just in our actions, but in our heart, our life, our spirit. I like to depict the, 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 uh, the will of God in, 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 like, a, like a large umbrella. A really big umbrella that, uh, or, a, or a shield that would, that would uh, go over our heads to protect us from all the attacks of the enemy that would come raining down upon us. And as long as we are under that protection of God, there is nothing that God doesn't choose to, uh, to, uh, to affect us that is able to come and touch us. The only things that are allowed to enter our lives are those things that God says yes to. But many times we decide on our own because we don't understand what God is doing. We don't like what God is saying. We choose to get out from under that protection of God. And we subject ourselves to any any attack of the enemy. And everything that might come raining down upon us. But as Jesus gave us the model prayer. He spoke words that should be the desire of our heart. He said, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we might see things one way and and believe that that by doing things this way that that it would be better but lord you've said for us to do it that way and although we we don't understand we're going to choose your way because your way is always right that should be our prayer lord you're the one in control and and you know the end from the beginning and you know you know you're all-wise you know everything You know how it's going to work out if I do this. You know how it's going to work out if I do that. And you know how it's going to work out if I obey you. So Lord, I want to just obey you. That should be our heart. (coughs) And if if you'll notice through Scripture, obedience always comes before the blessings. Blessings will only come after obedience has taken place. We cannot expect God to bless us in order for us to obey. It doesn't happen that way. God is commanded and we need to do what God has called us to do. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Surrender to His will is often an issue with many of us. Okay, let's, let's be honest. It's an issue with all of us, right? Because we want to be in charge. We don't want people telling us what to do. And We'll push back and we'll, we'll buck for our will. And many times, even when we pray, if you'll be honest, even when we pray, we try to convince God for our will to be done. We want it so badly often that we figured out all the reasons and it must be our way. And, and, and then we convince ourselves that because we figured this out, and that this seems to be best to us, that this is obviously God's will when it's not necessarily His will. What we need to do is we need to, we need to set aside our desires and our plans, and we need to get along with God and open up His Word and begin to read it and begin to pray and get in touch with God and find what His will is. Now, remember this, His will is not like a, a game of, of hot and cold, you know, where, where He's hidden something. He's getting his will, and and we're looking for it. (laughs) Oh, you're cold. Oh, you're getting a little warmer. Oh, you're warmer. Oh, you're hot. No, no. All right. Oh, you're burning up. You're burning up. No, you're cold. It's not like that. God's will is his desire for your life. It's what he wants for you. And as you draw close to him and as you pray and you ask him, he will reveal his will to you. Now, his will is not gonna be, it's not gonna be like, like, I'm now speaking to you, and I'm going to reveal to you. You know, it's not gonna be like that. It's not gonna be like, you <laughs> and you're gonna know his will. But you're going to know in your heart the direction that God is leading. The Bible says. It is God which worketh in you both to will, that means to want to, and to do his good pleasure. As you're submitted to him, he will put in you a desire to do something, and then he will enable you to do it. See, back in, back in 1995, as, as I, I had grown up in church, and I had, uh, my dad was a, was an assistant pastor in the church I, I grew up in. I, I was taught that the will of God was so important. And so I began to seek the will of God. And I began to pray and say, God, I want to do your will. I want to know what your will is for me. And Lord, whatever you say, I'll do it. I wanted to do God's will desperately from my heart. And so I began to pray and open myself to God. And I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, what, what, how am I going to know God's will? And he said this. He said, Philip, if you will do what you know to do, if God wants you to do anything different, he'll show you. I was like, that's not what I was looking for. I wanted you to tell me what God's will was for me. And and so time after time, I would go to him, and and he'd tell me the same thing. You know, like I said before, do what you know to do. And if God wants you to do anything more, anything different, he'll show you. So one day, one day we were uh, we were there at, at the church, and I uh, and I was I was always involved in the music program at our church as I grew up, but I was never really one to like to stand before people and talk. I know that's surprising because I say a lot of words now, but <laughs> uh, I I always wanted to kind of be you know in a supporting role uh, perhaps or something, but but never to be the the man out front. And and as it it turned out that evening, um, my sister and my pastor's son and I, we were singing a song in church, and the song was the old hymn, Cleanse Me. And it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And one of the verses, it says, Lord, take my life and make me wholly thine. As I began to sing those words, that is all that was able to come out of my mouth, that phrase. In that moment, I can't explain it to you. Other than to say, God put in my heart a desire to stand before people and proclaim the word of God. I'm still waiting on the enablement. (laughs) Uh, he he works in us and enables us to do his will and I'm thankful for it when when I was pastoring in Georgia and God called our family to come out here I had heard about about the the large uh, populations out west with not enough churches to keep up with the with that population, and I began to I began to pray. God send somebody, and that that day uh, in September of 2014, as I knelt on my knees there in Ackworth, Georgia, at the front of the church, I, I began to pray, and I said, "Lord, uh, would you send somebody?" And in that moment, He spoke to my heart, and He and I knew because He gave me a desire for me and my family to come out west and plant a church. And he, he has revealed his will through the desire and the enablement, and that's what he'll do for you. Now, his will is 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 not always uh, it, it's not always just big things like him calling me to preach the word of God or him calling me out west. Sometimes his will is for you to give uh, a witness to somebody there uh, next to you at the gas station. And you might say, well, you know, I don't necessarily want to do that. You know, God told Jonah to go and preach and Jonah didn't want to do that. But here's the thing. As you are drawing close to God and you are seeking him, he'll reveal his will and he'll give you that desire. Because our desire above all should be to please him who has called us and saved us. Now, To attempt to bring God into agreement with our will is to keep ourselves as Lord of our lives. Even partial compliance, wanting God to meet us halfway, is not being surrendered to God. We're either surrendered completely or not at all. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What we need to remember is that God's will is what is right. It is the right way for us to go. God's will is best, even though we might not understand it. And God's will is blessed. Whenever we obey God's will, that's where we'll find the blessings in life. Many of you are reading through Psalms and Proverbs with us this month. and. In today's reading, Psalm 19 tells us of the amazing power and wonder of God. We see his works and his ways beyond our comprehension and, and that uh, you and I would do well to uh, to let his glory show us our sinfulness and to yield ourselves, including our will, to him. That's what Psalm 19 tells us. And uh, verse 14 of that, that chapter, it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. With these things in mind, I know that was a long introduction. I'm going to try to hasten things right along through the rest of the message. I want to share with you three choices that we should make uh, to set us in the center of God's will for our lives. Number one is decide. You and I need to decide that we're going to do God's will. Uh, will not accidentally or automatically do the will of God because the will of God is not solely an action. As we talked about Jonah, uh, the will of God is also a, a heart matter. The heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart, uh, and so we want to we want to get our heart in tune with God. We want to uh, obey Him in humility, uh, and we decide. ...from our heart to do the will of God. Whether we serve God or anything else, Scripture calls us to decide. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 15, Joshua stands before the children of Israel and he says, "...therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord." He said, "...and if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord..." Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which you, your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, it would do us well to make a decision once and for all that uh, which one we're going to serve, whether we're going to serve God or whether we're going to serve the world or whether we're going to serve ourselves. Hey, we ought, to, we ought to decide and then go for it wholeheartedly. You say, well, that doesn't sound like the right kind of preaching. You're supposed to just be saying, serve God completely. Hey, let me tell you this. The worst testimony is a person who calls themselves a Christian and serves himself. Because they are not letting the power of God transform their lives. And if in your heart you're just decided, I'm not going to serve the Lord, as much as I would grieve over that decision you would do better to not make yourself and others miserable with calling yourself a Christian and living otherwise Mm -hmm. now the best choice is to choose to serve God because what I've found in the life of Every person that has said they're a Christian, but they try to straddle the fence. It's kind of like the politician who said, who was asked about uh, his position on an issue, and he said, I have friends on both sides of that issue, and I stand with my friends. Um, You might get that later. But uh, (laughs) uh, if we treat the Christian life that way, what we're going to find is in our heart, we know what's right. But we're giving in to that draw of the world, the draw of the flesh. And we seek after these temporal pleasures. And they ought, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And we try to enjoy those. But because we want to hang on to Christianity and hang on to the world, we're caught in between and we're just miserable. best thing to do. The Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and temporal things. You cannot serve God and this world. You need to choose this day whom you'll serve. Now, that may not be popular preaching, and it's certainly not the kind that's going to attract a ton of, of, of uh, followers on social media or anything like that, probably, but I believe that Joshua's on to something, and we need to make a decision. Let's stop straddling the fence. And let's choose to, hey, I want to encourage you, just as Joshua did at the beginning of his statement here, choose to serve God. Now, serve the Lord with all your heart. Put away those other gods. Put away those those uh, things of the world, the flesh and the devil. Put away those things that are going to draw you away from uh, from faithfulness to God. And serve God. But if you're just not going to, if you're not going to put those things away, then Maybe stop calling yourself a Christian. Stop, stop trying to do the Christian thing too because you're going to be miserable. You'll either stand with God or the world. You'll either stand in the will of God or in sin. So let me encourage you to choose. Choose. Now, remember, whatever you choose, you'll live and probably die with the consequences. And whatever you choose, you're going to lead others in that decision as well. You're going to affect others. Notice Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's making a decision for himself. And that he was going to lead his family to to follow that way. Now you you might be satisfied that you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. And you might want to serve the world and, and enjoy the pleasures of sin. But remember this, especially you who are parents, you've got little ones following you. And the example that you set is the direction they're going to follow. And if you want them to be saved, give yourself completely to God and serve him wholeheartedly if you want them to go to hell, and I don't believe you do, then just go and do the world's thing. I'm not saying that being cold. I'm not saying that being heartless. I'm saying that with a heavy heart. Because Pasadena is, Pasadena is chock full of Christians in name only. Yeah. Pasadena needs to see what real Christianity is all about. I'm not saying we have a monopoly on truth, but truth should have a monopoly on us. I'm not saying that we're the only ones that love Jesus, but we ought to be ones that love Jesus. And we ought to be ones that completely and passionately seek for his will to be done, not our own. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I am saying we should be striving for it. Yielding to him. Now, while the Christian life is not candy canes and lollipops all the way to heaven, it is the best because he is with us. And if you choose to live for God, you'll find the greatest life available. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. We're incapable of fully understanding the blessing, the privilege that we, as children of God, have to serve him. But just think of that. We are the children of God. That's awesome, isn't it? This reality alone should compel us to fully serve him faithfully, knowing that we truly deserve separation from God in hell, that instead Jesus took our place so he could offer us a relationship with God and his family. So will you choose this day whom you'll serve? Technically, you will decide. Even saying that you're not going to decide is actually making a decision to continue not serving Jesus. So will you decide to serve him? If you do, you'll need to make a subsequent choice that will enable you to maintain your focus and your faithful service. And that is, secondly, self-discipline. You need to discipline yourself. Now, discipline is difficult for us. We often think, when we think of discipline, we think of punishment. But discipline is truly nothing more than training. And training ourselves in a particular area to reach a desired goal. Uh, uh, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Now you know that they which run, he says, Know ye not that they which run uh, in a race run all, but one receipt of the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate. That means self disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What's he saying? Paul is saying that in the Christian life, our goal should be to become more like Jesus Christ. Our goal should be that when we stand before him one day uh, and and our lives are are judged by God and and he brings out the books and he, and he, he looks in the book and compares it to our life. That, we, that uh, we want to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's our goal. And we need to be doing whatever we need to do from here to achieve that goal. We need to lay off the things that are going to hinder us from hearing well done. We need to add things to our life that are going to enable us to hear well done. This commitment requires a steady diet of the Word of God and faithful, humble obedience to him. Jesus said if we're to be his disciples that we're, we need to continue in his word. This doesn't mean that we're reading the Bible every minute of every day, but it does mean that his word has preeminence in our lives, that it governs our decisions and the direction for our life. And th- this is not easy because it goes it goes entirely against our human nature we uh, we're prone to you know many of us we, we want to we want to get up and we want to go and just get things done and we have our schedule so packed full of everything that that you know I, I just don't have time to read my Bible. but if you don't have time to read the Bible, you're just too busy. we, we, we need this because we're more than just physical we are spiritual beings and this is our spiritual food. We need to to detach from the things of the world and draw close to God and realize our dependence upon Him. So we're yielding to His authority and His will. This means intentionally doing things that remind us that we need God and the flesh is not to be in control. Notice Paul said in that verse, he said uh, that I bring my body into subjection. Many of us, our belly tells us what to do. You notice we schedule our day around our meals, don't we? We we schedule our life around our appetite. And we and we, we work and work and work, and, and the whole time we're working, we're thinking, oh, it's only two more hours till I get to have my lunch break. <laughs> oh, i got 30 minutes and I can take a break and go get a snack out of the machine, you know. I mean, we, we, we just think about food, and, and that seems to control us. But what if, what if we intentionally did things that caused our minds to so be changed by the Word of God so that we didn't live to eat, but we lived by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? Now I'm not saying that we'll never eat because we do need to eat. God made us to, to need to eat, but we should eat to live and not the other way around. We one one of the things that that uh, believers have done through the years to uh, to help them to remember that that they needed God and and uh, th- that the things of this world they needed to detach from the, the desires of of. Uh, Desires for those things is that they would intentionally do things uh, like fasting, fast taking time to fast and pray, to refocus on God and His Word. We see through Scripture how how many times people would fast. Uh, because they're they're praying for something specific. Daniel read the the book of uh, read the prophecy of Jeremiah and and wanted some understanding for that and so he fasted for 21 days and prayed. Fasted and prayed for understanding of God's word. We see in the in the New Testament where Jesus comes uh, to to a group of people there his disciples are there and there's a there's a man who has a son with him and the, the man brings his son to Jesus and he says Lord my son is possessed of devils and I brought him to your disciples to cast the devils out but they couldn't and Jesus cast the devils out of the out of the young boy and later when the disciples said why couldn't we cast them out Jesus said this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting see there's something about Getting our priorities uh, in line so that the so that spiritual priorities are much higher than physical priorities. When we seek for God's kingdom to be uh, to be uh, built, when we seek for His will to be done uh, in in earth as it is in heaven, rather than seeking for our will to be done and for us to be satisfied. Hey, when we are more interested in God than we are ourselves, then God's going to do something. When we hunger. For God, more than we hunger for something of this world, then we will begin to see God doing some amazing things. He said, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. As we submit to the Spirit of God and obey his will, he produces self-discipline in us, self-control. It's temperance. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control, self-discipline. See, these are things that the Spirit of God produces in us as we yield to Him. And hey, I I tell you, I want to see God do some great things around here. Last year, year we had had many people that were coming to this church. And as I look around the room, I see many uh, empty spots where those people would sit. And those people are now gone uh, because of choices that they made. But perhaps we didn't spend the time praying and fasting for them like we ought to. And I don't want to make that mistake again. And I want to call our church to a time of fasting and prayer. And I want to encourage you. Let, let's, start, let's start next week. See, I'm not just going to spring it on you. Give you some time to plan. Eat that hamburger, you know. But I want to call, I want to call our church to a time of fasting and prayer. And, and, and it, may be, it may be skipping a meal. It may be skipping um, meals for the day. It may be going a week without eating or whatever. Hey, but, but if you're going to do that, make sure you get in touch with your doctor. Make sure that you're healthy enough to do that, okay? I don't want anybody dying of some kind of a health situation because they're fasting, all right? Um, but uh, uh, but let me encourage you to to, to to fast with us. There are other ways that we can fast. Maybe Maybe fasting from television and movies. That'd be good, wouldn't it? How about fasting from Facebook and Instagram? Woo, how about that? That, That'll encourage you. You might find yourself more joyful when you're not trying to see how many people have liked your post. And you see six and you're like, oh, it wasn't seven. Right? Hey, let's, let's take some time to refocus our hearts and our minds on God. There are many wonderful benefits of fasting and prayer. Fasting is essentially not eating for a set amount of time or not having some form of intake for a set amount of time and and focusing on the will of God being accomplished. I want to see God do some great things. This biblical practice is far too often neglected by the people of God and we wonder why we have a lack of spiritual power. It's not because God's not able but because we were perhaps too self-willed to fully rely on him I mentioned people who are gone and I, I pray that through our fasting and prayer that many of them will come back okay. and I want to pray for you during the time of fasting and prayer and I want to ask you to pray for me because Satan is on the war path and he's coming for you and he's coming for me Now, he can't have our soul once you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. He can't have that. Praise the Lord for that. But if he can render you ineffective in the ministry, then he's been successful. But I'd love to see many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling, who are rebellious, who are wayward, turn back to a passionate commitment to Jesus Christ. I'd love to see many of those for whom we've prayed come to trust Jesus as their Savior. I'd love to see uh, the strongholds that Satan has on the hearts and minds of the people of this city torn down. I'd like to see a move of of God so great that there's no question that God himself is the one doing the work and a work that goes beyond the walls of this auditorium and reaches beyond uh, our lives to the hearts of men and women, boys and girls throughout Pasadena and Alhambra and Altadena and even throughout Los Angeles. We want His will in LA as it is in heaven. Jesus said He would build His church and the gates of hell would not prevail, but for too long the church has relied upon a few of its members. To, I'm not talking about the cross point itself necessarily, but maybe we've been guilty, but the church as a whole has relied upon a few of the members of of the body of Christ to do the work, and and many of those members have have taken upon themselves uh, the responsibility, like it all rises and falls on us, and we failed to rely upon God to do His work of building His church, and we've tried to do God's work for Him, and we failed because we can't do God's work for Him, only He can do His work, the success of the church is dependent upon our obedience to Jesus Christ and our reliance upon Him. The work He's called us to do is beyond our capabilities in the flesh. However, with His power and with His wisdom, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can see the work of Jesus Christ as the church of the living God. We can prevail against the enemy. We can prevail against the principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness in high places. And the Bible is clear. This is not human beings. This is a spiritual battle. And in order for this to happen, the people of God must turn our focus back to Jesus Christ. We must desire His will above everything else. Finally, In choosing the will of God, we must not only decide and discipline ourselves, but we must also do it. The will of God must become our practice. James chapter 1 tells us, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Often we'll sit in church and we'll hear a message preached and we'll get excited about about the will of God, and, and we'll, we'll say, yes, we're going to do it. But then we go to lunch, and we eat, and we forget what we've heard and what we've committed ourselves to, right? We go sit down to watch the football game, and, and we get more interested in the football game, and so we forget what God did in our hearts. But may we let the will of God become such priority that even if we, and forgive me for saying this, even if we have to to miss the football game, that we're more interested in the will of God being accomplished. This doesn't mean to do something that God tells us to do one time and we're done. But obedience to God is doing His will in an ongoing habit. it's our manner of life. It's our way of life. See L- coming to LA, our family has had uh, some many, many different experiences and, and maybe you're, maybe you've moved to LA uh, in the last few years like we did and you're exposed to so many different cultures. This is just like a hodgepodge of culture here, isn't it? I love it. But there ought to be a culture about the people of God. A culture is the way of life of a group of people. And our culture should be that we desire above all to do the will of God. And it is seeking his will and obedience to his will that is our common practice. We're taught in the book of Ephesians that God has given specific people to teach uh, the church, uh, to teach us in the church uh, in order for us to grow to spiritual maturity. And the result of spiritual maturity will be that we engage in the work of of, uh, the ministry, which will result in the body of Christ being edified, strengthened, and growing numerically says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with uh, every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, into his likeness, into reflecting Jesus Christ and may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supply according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto its uh, edifying of itself in love hey it's it's each of us doing what god has called us to do to learn and to teach Uh, So the the body is growing, and as we grow and mature, we get involved in the work of the ministry, doing the will of God for our lives and for our church. And as we do that, we're reaching more people with the gospel. We're teaching more people the way of God, and we're recruiting more people to live for God and serve God. Hey, and the body of Christ is edified. It's wonderful when someone decides that they're going to follow the will of God for their life. It's amazing when two people surrender to the will of God uh, uh, and and follow Jesus Christ. But it's awesome when three people decide to humbly give themselves as living sacrifices to Jesus Christ. But can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like if the majority of us, or even all of us, just said, God, today, once and for all, and, and from now on, every day from here on out, I am going to choose to do your will. I choose to obey you. I choose to follow your will for my life. Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever God plainly reveals to us in his word, let's be obedient to that. And as he speaks to us by his spirit, uh, let's be obedient to do what God says for us to do. Let's choose to do the will of God. We as believers must realize that the will of God is what is truly best for our lives. We need to choose it. We need to discipline ourselves and do it. This is a lifetime commitment for the one who committed his life to us. I'm ready to see the great things he has in store for us this year. What about you? Will you choose the will of God? Now, for some... You may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. His will for you begins with faith in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you realize that you have a a need for Jesus, Mm -hmm. and you do if you've never trusted Him, you do need Jesus in your life, You do need him to forgive you of your sins and save you and give you a relationship with God. If you don't have that, that's what you need today because without that, you will spend eternity separated from God. But with Jesus in your life, you'll have a relationship with God. You'll have the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and teach you. You'll have the church to help you to grow in your walk with Jesus. That's what he wants for you. Hey, will you come to him and find that peace that passes all understanding? find the best friend that you've ever had? Will you do the will of God?